Hello there, everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to the Nightlamp Podcast. Yes, welcome and hello from Adela Holmes. And me, Stefan Friedrich. And um, if you're German and you know a better way of pronouncing my name, please let me know because I have a German name and I can't speak German. Well, you're in the horns of a dilemma there, aren't you, Stefan? <laughs> no, a little bit. I have been all my life, actually. Um, I have a German name, and my first language uh, is Spanish, and I'm um, and English is actually my third language. I reckon it would be something like Friedrich. Is it something like that? I think something so. Something like that. There's a little I bit I think of, so. Yeah, there's a bit of... There'd uh, be a bit of hucking yeah, in it. Yeah, a bit of aggressive yeah. throat clearing A bit of hucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, being Jewish, there's plenty of hucking in my... In Yiddish, too. Yeah, so there I'm, you go. You've got your... I'm family. very familiar with it. Do you speak Yiddish? I used to, as a child. Wow, that is I've so I've kind cool. of lost it a bit, but I have words but I've kind of lost the joining words uh-huh. a bit. Uh-huh. If I was surrounded by people speaking Yiddish, it wouldn't take me very long to, for it to come back. It, it doesn't take long to reopen those no. old neural pathways. No, it doesn't, as we know. Um, and interestingly, I've often thought that I might... that They have courses where people can go and, and kind of rediscover Yiddish, ah, which you I kind of, wouldn't you, mind doing. You, you, you can. You mm. can, actually. Um, well, we've uh, we spent last podcast talking, uh, I, I think, fairly bravely about uh, some prison riots, and um, this podcast, I guess, we're a bit open to um, to all sorts of things that, as you say, have crossed our consciousness. That's right. These things have just sort of drifted across our awareness as time goes on. Might have been questions on Facebook. Yes, yes. Well, there, there uh, has been a couple of comments. Mm. I think there's a f- couple of things I'd like to cover today. One was because I did say in that Facebook comment, perhaps this would be a good podcast topic. Ah, uh, you did. That's right. Um, and the question was to us, which was, what are our thoughts on the use of chiropractic treatment for children's behavioural disorders um, such as ADHD and and related matters. Um, and I guess we've had similar questions in relation to other alternative medicines such as uh, homeopathy. I've had questions uh, about that before because some homeopaths I've seen have um, prescribed homeopathic um what would you call them? Remedies? Yes, I think so. Um, for for behavioural disorders. Mm. Uh, so I, I guess we could start with that one. We could. And I suppose my thinking is, before one thinks about the question regarding our view about the use of chiropractic or homeopathic remedies for ADHD in particular... Uh, I'd be thinking that what we really actually have to do is answer the question about what is ADHD. Because I think it's incumbent upon us, if we're going to be suggesting solutions to things, that we actually understand the causes of them. Otherwise, 
We get caught up in what I've referred to many times in these podcasts, where we're treating effects and not causes. Yes, and, and I guess that people have different, you know, there's, there has been different opinion mm. and hypotheses, and many of them unproven hypotheses, mm. about what the causes might be. Mm. For example, people might say that the cause is... Uh, the, the, you know, the the cause might be located in the malalignment of your spine, or it could be your chakras are out of balance. Uh, you know, and for me, these are all fair enough questions. But do we have evidence to back up those explanations for possible causes? Mm. And you know, there are various different uh, causes attributed to children's difficulties with focus and their difficulties in terms of attention uh, along along the lines of sugar intake, food colourings um, and other similar sorts of influences. Um, and of course, because I think in a trauma-informed way and because I am very conscious of the manifestations of developmental trauma in behaviour, I see that many of the elements of what's called ADHD are actually almost exactly like the symptoms of PTSD. Yes, that's right. For me, the, the important factor in there is, has a child had a developmental trauma experience? If they have, well, it seems not unreasonable to me to look to that as a cause. If they haven't, and we are absolutely certain that there is nothing like that anywhere in their background, that's a whole different ballgame. Then, then it's something yeah. else. So then I, you look for something else. For yeah. me, ADHD is a descriptive term. Mm. You know, it's telling you what what behaviour you're seeing. It does, it's not giving you a cause. No. You're, you're seeing, oh, well, there seems to be a deficit in attention. There seems to be some hyperactivity. Mm. And both of these things seem to be beyond normal. Mm. And so, therefore, you, we call it a disorder. It's yeah. almost like uh, if if you called measles spotty face disorder. <laughs> it is very and, much you know, like And you'd say, well, well, you have spotty face disorder. <coughs> and, yes. of course... It could be caused by, uh, you know, lots of different things. Mm. It could be freckles. It could be measles. Yeah. Chicken box. Mm. Uh, acne. Yeah. You might have just uh, fallen into a stinging nettle yeah. uh, <laughs> patch. Mm. So, you know, there could be lots of things. And I think mm. with ADHD, we're very quick mm. to attribute a cause to it, as mm. you're saying. And, and I think... Um, not unreasonably, because the presentation, the, the types of symptoms actually cause a lot of discomfort to children mm. and to parents. Mm. So it's quite normal and natural for parents to want to do something about it. Mm. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, I think, when we're talking about one of the other things that has crossed our consciousness. Uh-huh. Um, but... It's, it's a fairly natural thing to, to actually want to find a causal factor 
and believe that it is a, a disorder of some sort, particularly when the uh, recognised medical industry mm. is leading us in that direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. To to want to pathologise yep. that. Uh, and I, I guess it goes back to the question, well, what do I think about the use of chiropractic treatment yeah. in behavioural disorder? I would say this, and I don't know a lot about chiropractic, mm. um, but I'd say if, for example, chiropractic treatment actually successfully treats um, a a back, a spine that's out of line. Mm. And if your spine being aligned has been found to cause ADHD, Mm. then yes, it's probably effective. But I don't know if we have evidence for any of that. I'm not not aware of any. Mm. I'm sure someone listening may have some, and if they do, then that's great. Well, I have seen some studies that, that show some evidence for chiropractic treatment and ADHD, but uh, all the studies that I have seen are firstly not completely objective and not completely uh, double-blind, and they all suggest that further investigation is warranted. Mm. Um, So either they show there's no significant Mm. impact or they um, suggest that Mm. further investigation is needed. And I suppose it goes back to that point that you made uh, about spotty face disorder, which is we actually need to understand what it is we're treating. Yep, yep. So to be able to say, does chiropractic heal ADHD? What is ADHD is the question that needs to be answered first. Exactly. It's yeah. like that time where we spoke about when the red light yes. in the That's shape actually, of an yes. oil can comes on the dashboard oh. and if your mechanic were to say, well, you've, your car has DRLD, you know, dashboard red light disorder, mm. um, it actually wouldn't be enough because actually mm. what he needs to do is investigate why the light is coming on. Is there a leak or are you simply low in oil? Mm. Or, you know, what, what, what needs to happen? And ultimately what would happen if, if the focus remained on dashboard red light disorder, ultimately the car would, I think, throw a piston and the head gasket would crack. I, Is that not correct? Would. Well, if all you wanted to do was... <laughs> stop the behaviour yeah. of the car, then yeah. all you'd have to do would be to put a bit of, bit of masking tape over the light. Yeah, but ultimately, the the head gasket of the car, of the engine would crack. It would. It, it wouldn't actually solve the problem. Exactly. So, you know, there's an interesting metaphor in there, isn't there? I, I think so. Mm. I think so. so, I suppose what we're really saying is that we don't think that it's some kind of a, a treatment that can be applied universally. Well, I think I'm being diplomatic. Well, yes, I think you are being diplomatic, but I think we actually have to say what we think. Oh, really? You want me to say what I think? I do. Well, no, it doesn't. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's important. Not that I know of. Not that, Not that I know we know of. of. Now, it's, same goes for homeopathic treatment mm. of behavioural disorders. Mm. Um, I... I have never seen, and if any listeners out there do have evidence in the form of a, of a study, mm. we want to see it because anything mm. that helps 
um, children Absolutely. Um, who are impacted by these things is, is going to be useful and we'll use it. I'll, I will be the first to change my mind. If it's and, proved. Oh, if, mm. if there's evidence. If there's evidence. If there's evidence, yeah. as Sam Harris says, I don't want to be wrong for any longer than I need to be. Yeah, yeah. Good, good point. But, of course, one of the risks where there isn't evidence is that children actually may not have their best interests served and that is where ethically you and I would be concerned. I, I think there are serious ethical problems mm. when someone is treating a cause that essentially that they're assuming. Mm. Right? They're, they're assuming a cause so they're, they're treating that mm. and in many ways they're pathologising the child with having this thing. Mm. There's something wrong with the child mm. outside of the environment mm. or isolated from the environment mm. and from the care itself. Mm. And I, I think that, yeah, we run into some pretty serious ethical issues there and, and I mm. think that people need to question what it is that they're doing and how people are also diagnosing their own children mm. or sometimes making suggestions mm. about their own children. Mm. Um, well, yeah. I think I was telling you earlier about an experience that I had with my own daughter yep. when she was probably about two, Yeah, had fallen off the couch, jumping about, having fun. I was concerned. I took her down to the Royal Children's Hospital. She's always she always had been a very alert, interested, bright little girl, uh, and I saw nothing wrong with that. In fact, I saw everything right with that. Mm-hmm. She was learning about the world and very curious. In the context of the Royal Children's Hospital, the nurses suddenly start started um, saying, oh, she's very active. She's almost hyperactive to me. (laughs) She's almost really, really, really active. And had I been a person with less certainty about my own views, which is something I could never be accused of, but had I been a parent with less certainty about my own views, I may well have thought, oh, I've got a... These are nurses... They've told me that my daughter's hyperactive. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I've got a problem. Instead of which, I just said, nah, <laughs> she's fine. She's curious. She's learning about the world. Trotted off home, went back to my own life. She was fine. They checked her out. She was perfectly okay. Um, and I'm happy to say that she is now an adult, of course, um, and a very smart, intelligent and active and curious adult who runs her own business and does pretty well and isn't hyperactive and never has been. And she does it all without Ritalin. She does it all without Ritalin. (laughs) But you can see the point I'm making is the path that I could have gone down, which would have actually pathologised her very natural intelligence. Well, I think if it does worry you what a nurse might say or a teacher might say or... Um, you know, someone in childcare might say, or a friend, um, then what you you do what you'd normally do because you wouldn't allow someone just in the street or in a shop or, you know, in the classroom to diagnose you for a physiological um, ailment. Um, and so you'd go to someone who could give you a, another opinion or an analysis um, rather than run with that. I think mm. you. Or you'd do what I did and say, nah. <laughs> well, yeah, 
I, I, I think so. Although sometimes it is good to think about what's happening because yeah. you might also be in a, in a world of thinking it, yeah. everything's fine when it actually it might not when be. When it might not be. You know, and obviously it was in that case. And there are interesting elements to that because so much of what we see in children's behaviour and what we think about children's behaviour is influenced by our own experience, by the environment we're in, by other factors in our lives. And what's the norm? And what's the norm for me might not be the norm for you, etc., etc. And there's a, there's a, um, a parameter around the sort of normal yeah. range of behaviours yeah. and then there are things that go outside of that yeah. parameter. But the question becomes quite tricky in terms of where does it go outside? Well, I guess in the work that you and I do, it's, it's about, for, for children that we work with, it's about kind of ascertaining whether or not the behaviour is going to lead to a unfa- to an unfavourable trajectory. Mm. In, a, in other words, yep. the, the behaviour is actually going to reduce the life chances and opportunities for yep. this person in the long term. Absolutely. So I think that's one way of yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, it's like, a good point. Do I, am I just offended by this yeah. behaviour or will this behaviour actually be, pose yeah. a harm, a, a real risk to that yeah. child actually having um, a, a life full yeah. of... Fairly normal opportunity. Yeah. And is it just that these people over here don't agree with my parenting style, mm-hmm. or is it what you've just described? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, going back to the um, rather incendiary uh, post that I published mm. on Facebook recently mm. on smacking children as a form of discipline. Right, mm. because I think there's two reasons why people smack children. One is because they themselves are not regulated, mm. and they're reacting to something, and they're they're not wanting to. Mm. And the other one is when they're actually using it as a tool for discipline. Mm. And so, um, you know, I see lots of things going around Facebook saying, "Well, I was smacked, and it just taught me respect, or it just, you know." Mm taught me lots of good things so actually there's no evidence behind that and all the evidence that we do have about using corporal punishment is now indicating only mm. that it is not good like there's nothing favorable about no it. and it's illegal yeah and <laughs> as well as that right yeah. so all of those things so i was simply disputing those yeah. those uh memes i suppose you yeah. could say that actually I think for a lot of people, um, affirm their position or what they have done as parents. Now, mm. none of us received a an instruction manual upon the arrival of our firstborn. Mm. N- nobody did, right? Uh, my children are, are grown up and, and so are yours. And um, I guess I look back and I think, oh, there's so many times where I, I now know that I could have done things differently if I had known better then. Mm. Um, but I didn't know better then. Mm. Now, that's not to say that we throw out evidence when we see it. Mm. So, you know, we we have the evidence. So I'd say that we need to lean towards the evidence. We need to go there and be, and, and I guess be humble enough to say, I guess I was wrong. Mm. You no, know, not I have to be as well. Yeah, and, and also the things that you 
did that you wouldn't do with the benefit of hindsight, what was the impact of those things? Exactly. You know, how bad were they? Yeah. Um, and again, that relates directly to what's in the normal range and what isn't. Yes, that's But right. where we're at in history at the moment, because smacking children has become a matter of law, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're at a very interesting crossroads because I would guess that there's a fairly substantial sector in the community who hold the view that smacking is still still hold the view that smacking is okay. Oh yes, absolutely. Despite the fact that we can't, it's not meant to be done. Yeah. They would still hold firm to the view that it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I have never believed in smacking ever. Um, and I must say, I never have either. Um, but if I had, I think I, I, I would have changed my mind by now, yeah. simply because I've seen the evidence. I, I now know it. It's staring me in the face. Now, lots of people say, well, don't tell me I should be allowed to parent how I parent. Now, where do you draw that line, saying, well, that means I can do anything as a parent? Mm. Um, and so there is the matter of children's rights Indeed. that come in here. Like yeah. We don't... You know, do we own our children and can do whatever we want? Well, no, mm. uh, that's not the case. Can we hit other people? Mm. No, we can't because we are charged with assault. Mm. And so there's, you know, there, there's a fine line there, but I think there's also a very clear line. There is, and one of the things that I think helps or can help parents um, is to look at a piece of behaviour in a child from the inside out rather than the outside in. In fact, there's a, I, I didn't make that up because there's a, a very good book that has been written called Parenting from the Inside Out. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's by Dan Siegel and somebody else, but right, right, I, yeah. could be, I could be wrong on that. Um, but it talks very much about parenting from the inside out, so helping a child to understand what's going on inside them and helping them through understanding that and managing their impulses as opposed to looking at what they do as a result of those impulses and just trying to control that. Well, and sometimes we, we are actually thinking that we're disciplining a child, but we're actually reacting... To our own agitation. Indeed. Which might have been topped off by mm. whatever the child was doing, mm. but it might, it may have began mm. when we ran out of coffee, you know? <laughs> and, and also our, our own agitation because we become embarrassed in the eyes of others by what our children might do. Oh, absolutely. In a public place, if our child is doing something that's unacceptable, it probably feels better to do something that's definitive that asserts authority over the child yeah. in in terms of how we believe we are going to be viewed 
in the eyes of others. And sometimes we think that others will view us as not doing anything about exactly. it. Exactly. And if we do something about it, if we show mm. that we don't like it either, mm. then we we show that we're doing something mm. about it, actually. Exactly. Um, I, look, I see this a lot, and you yeah. see it a lot in supermarkets mm. and in other public mm. places. Absolutely. Um, I often try and assure parents that, really, I, I'm actually okay with mm. the tantrum you know, or whatever it might be mm. um, that that's happening with this three-year-old. Mm. Or but it can be very embarrassing mm. for a parent. Mm. You know, you've got a kid who is screaming down the supermarket, uh, as I saw in one supermarket just last week when I was there with my three-year-old granddaughter right. and uh, a little girl who looked, I don't know, about a similar age, um, were sitting in the trolley in the supermarket and roaring at about something. Um, and my own little granddaughter looked at me and said, Ooh, ooh. <laughs> she was quite affected by it. And I said, yes, she seems very angry and upset about something. Maybe her mummy said she couldn't have something that she wanted. Oh, and that kind of satisfied my granddaughter um but yes those things are very difficult to deal with in fact this mother appeared to be managing it quite well how did she manage it well she was not buying into it Mm -hmm. she was just being soothing um and she was not actually engaging in a conversation about it. She was just trying to soothe the child, which, of course, as we know, in relation to trauma-driven states, um, when a person is heightened and physiologically aroused is not the time to be talking to them. It's not the time to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. Absolutely not. Because what they're doing is a function of their aroused state. (laughs) Exactly. And so they need to be regulated. and regulated, and that's what she was doing. Mm -hmm. Now, I would assume that she would, once the child was regulated, have the conversation with the child about whatever it was that had led to the tantrum. About what happened. And work it through and and repair the rupture about the appropriateness mm, or inappropriateness of it. Mm. And I think that that's a really important point about tantrums in general. Mm. Tantrums are not, and I'm doing those inverted commas in the air with my fingers. The little ears, yeah. Yeah, I can people can't that. see. You can see that. <laughs> uh, they're not about being naughty. They're actually an indication of a child with a strong will who is asserting their autonomy to have something that they want. They're not having the tantrum to be naughty. Mm, mm. They're desperately wanting something. Now, of course, we all know you can't have everything you want. But when we can't have something we want, we also become... Heightened. Heightened. Yeah. Right? We, we become heightened. We and, do. And this is what happens. But I know there's something We've else. learned how to manage it, though, hopefully. Yeah, and when I see parents manage this really well, there's something else that they do, mm. which is they actually validate yeah. the feeling behind the child's exactly. behaviour. Yeah. So, you know, the, the child really, really wants the chocolate. Mm. Uh, the mother might say, 
you're really upset. Yeah. Or I know I you really want that. Yeah. I re I know you really, really want that. But this time you can't have it. And isn't it upsetting when we can't yeah, have something? Exactly. Um, sometimes that's enough. Well, sometimes it has to be enough mm, mm. because that's all there is. And uh, what we tend to do often, being human beings, is that we want to stop it. It looks like naughtiness to other people on the outside. It looks it like it, like we don't have any control over our child as parents, which in Christian society and uh, uh, well, mainly uh, white Anglo-Saxon society is an absolute no-no. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, in other cultures of the world, our the approach to children and children's wants is totally different mm -hmm, yeah. and is much more reflective of what we were just talking about in terms of validation. Um, you look at many European cultures and the way that they understand and manage children's wishes and wants mm. in a very different way. Because it's an understanding that the child can't manage that. That's right. Right. That yeah. we can manage it. We can manage it. We, um, we have to help them manage it. Yeah. Uh, and and it actually takes courage, which is another element of parenting that is probably not much talked about. You actually have to have the courage to stick with your way of dealing things with things, despite the fact that other people may not agree. However, sticking with your way without actually going down the road you know my way or the highway meaning yeah meaning you know there will i will do things to you if you don't go my way right yes uh and i think that that's a mistake that we make Absolutely. because we can stand strong yeah and calm and loving oh, and exactly. compassionate we can still say no to the yeah, chocolate exactly uh and still um, and remain benevolent, mm, right? We can, and mm. it's, in fact, very important that we do, and we validate their feeling mm -hmm. without, for one second, saying, well, you can have it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Because if we're validating the feeling and we're teaching the child to manage their feeling, as is our responsibility, then those are two essential elements of being able to do that. But the imposition of power and authority will never achieve that. The imposition of power and authority, like, for example, I can pick up a two-year-old child and remove them to anywhere I wish. Yeah. They haven't learnt anything out of that other than I can pick them up and move them to other anywhere I wish. You're bigger than they are. You're, you're bigger <laughs> than me and you're asserting illegitimate power over me. Mm -hmm. So that lasts about as long as they are small enough to do what you do and then when they're no longer small enough they'll start doing it back mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or they'll start doing it to their younger siblings and yes. then they will get told off for doing it yep which yep. confuses them that that's right so i guess this comes back to uh, my idea of parenting is realizing that you can you, we have great influence over our children Enormous, but influence. actually, we don't have control over them mm. like we do. Like, you know, as if we had a remote control, mm. we don't. No, but, but we do. What we can control yeah. is what we, we 
do and say yeah. and think and feel. So a- Absolutely. And with patience, we end up having greater control over them. Or greater influence. And greater influence, but that leads to a control. Yeah. A type of appropriate control. Appropriate. Um, but we have to have patience and courage to get there. Well, I guess that that was a good chat. It was a good chat. <laughs> Took us in a number of directions, which is always the case when we I have our podcast. Always enjoy chat. Yeah. Uh, we did it over. I had a hot chocolate this time rather than tea with sugar cubes. Mm, I had a tea, of course. <laughs> I always drink tea, um, and I didn't have sugar cubes in it, Stefan, because as you know, I don't take sugar. I only give you the sugar cubes. I have sugar cubes when I'm at your place. Yes. <laughs> it settles me. Uh, as it should. It's a comforting thing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, everybody out there in podcast land. Um, we, of course, um, we represent Nightlamp. It's an organisation that um, specialises and focuses on working with um, with children Uh, specifically with developmental trauma, with people who care for those children, who teach them, who parent them. Um, And so we assist other organisations and individuals in all sorts of different ways. So how's that for a little plug? Uh, You can look us up at nightlamp.org and get in touch with us. Or you can uh, also um, look for us on Facebook and comment on stuff. Mm. And always, as always, we're always interested to hear people's comments and reflections on our podcasts or on anything else that we do and say. Indeed. Thank you very much and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.